Hi, welcome back to the Leaders Lab. I'm your host, Ken Eslick, and today we have Kim Addis on the show. She is the founder of Frame of Mind Coaching and the journal that talks back. Recognized as a pioneer in the field of leadership coaching and thought mastery, Kim uses her unique philosophy and quirky coaching style to help leaders identify their blind spots and to learn to direct their thinking to achieve extraordinary results. Author, speaker, entrepreneur, coach, and mom of five, Kim's claim of fame is teaching her powerful coaching processes to leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs worldwide. Kim, welcome to the Leaders Lab. Thank you. I am super excited to be here. Very excited. I'm excited you're here. And I was telling you, I, you know, I got to look into your coaching a little bit, although I have not taken it yet. Love initially the modalities and methods that you use with the journals, but you've been doing this for a long time. Where did your career start? Where did this journey into coaching start? I'm a veteran, that's for sure. I've been doing this for 20 years and way back when, well, okay, let me even go before that. How's that? I'll start sure. before then. Before I owned a coaching company, I owned a software company and we used to build simulation-based assessments. And the purpose of those assessments was to help companies make better hiring decisions. And so I did that for 10 years and we we're building simulations when the technology was not even nearly where it is today. It was really poor, in fact. But one of the things that happened was because we tested so many individuals, what we were interested in is how can we predict who's going to be a top performer, who's going to be better at their jobs than other people? And we collected some very interesting data, but there was one key piece of information that superseded all else. And that information led me to coaching. But anyway, I ran that company for 10 years. I ended up selling that company. And the moment I sold it, like within a few weeks, I got recruited by a coaching company locally in Toronto. And they kind of saw my track record. They saw my kind of the people I was engaged with. And they asked me to come on board to be their VP of marketing. I lasted eight months. <laughs> and the reason I lasted so for such a short period of time is number one, I'm an entrepreneur, super hard to work for people. And number two is, I didn't think that they were doing a good job in their coaching company. And I thought, you know, there's something that they're doing that's wrong. And I think I could do a better job. So these two things led me to coaching. What, before you got into even the analytics company, did you have a career before that? Or was that your kind of first time? I was always an entrepreneur before that. Yeah. I mean, I'm old, but I'm not that old, you know, like I'm kind of, but I owned a balloon deck company in my early twenties. And we would go to people's weddings, parties, bar mitzvahs, like all their events and set up the room with balloon decorations. Sure. And I did that for a few years. And then I said, okay, I'm going to go get my MBA. If I get in to do my MBA, I'm going to sell this company. And if I don't get in, then I'll grow this company, this balloon decorating business. And I got in, I did my MBA. And so, you know, we sold off the company and kind of went into another direction. Did the idea of being an entrepreneur, because it seems like, you know, you've said, I've always been an entrepreneur, you know, you did it earlier. Was that installed in you by your parents? Was it just something you had inherently? Like, where did that come from? My dad owned his own business, which is still alive and thriving today. But like, I remember as a kid, you know, whole families would go to the beach. We would all go to Cape Cod for the summer 
and you know there were family friends relatives all that kind of stuff and i would sell massages at the beach <laughs> so i would give them like a massage for 10 15 minutes and i'd get you know 2 bucks or something like that and so it's in my dna it's part of who i am and yeah. it's how i've always been i, I used think to it's sell comics i used to get free comics from my brother archie comics right not my brother my cousin and i used to sell them for 25 cents right i used to yeah. read them three four times okay done and I would make a couple of dollars that way. I think it's so funny when you're a kid and you get a taste of that. And maybe it doesn't work for all kids, obviously. But like for me, I think I had it too. And I did a bunch of different stuff. I mean, the usual kind of paper routes and stuff. But then the more kind of entrepreneurial ones were like I would pick apples from just this open field behind us that had apple trees on it and nobody cared. And I just put them all in a bucket and like go to the street corner and people would be you know, I have no problem selling the apples at all ever, you know? That's pretty inventive. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I felt like, well, and then you're a kid and once you get a taste of it, I think maybe if it's in your DNA, you're kind of looking for more of it. Right. And so it just goes from there. You mentioned when you were working for the analytics company, you said one thing stood out to you, but then you kept going. So I know I, I kept going. Yes, you I was were saving you it. Would come back to it. Yeah. Was what was the one it. thing? So what's the one thing? What differentiates top producers, top performers from other people? It's their degree of emotional resilience. So in life, in business, in work, we experience failure. We experience rejection. We get kicked to the curb. We have blows. And the people who are able to bounce back from adversity with greater speed and agility than others will be more likely to succeed in anything they do. So the question becomes, can we actually teach or develop? Can we build the muscle of emotional resilience? And the answer is yes. And hence frame of mind coaching. And that's what I do. So when you built your coaching business, you went in going, how do we create coaching systems or a coaching system that, that builds this, right? I mean, would that right. be accurate? So that's a piece of it. The other piece of it is that I went to work for this coaching company, this local coaching company. And their entire model was based on the premise of accountability. So if, if I were coaching you and you said, Kim, here's my goal, I would say, okay, great. Let's create a business plan or a plan of some kind. And let's create some milestones in that plan. And I, as your coach, will hold you accountable. Make sure you do all the things on your plan. And that way you'll reach your goal. And it sounds perfectly logical, and perfectly reasonable. But I thought to myself, no, Ken is a pretty driven individual. He's smart. He's capable. Why isn't he doing the things on his plan? He knows how to write a plan. It's not the plan that's the problem. Right. He didn't need a genius to write a plan. But why isn't he doing all the things on his plan? Something's getting in his way. And that's what I was interested in. What's getting in the way of you doing what you know you need to do in order to achieve your goals? Like take weight loss as an example. People know what they're supposed to do to lose weight, but they don't do it. And the question is why? Why not? Right. And so if I could identify, you know, we often think about, this whole concept of let's start with why, starting with why. And I'm like, no, let's start with why not? Why not? What's getting in the way? If we can find what's getting in the way and remove it from your path, right. then you can take off, right? And then you can be successful. That's what I was interested in. So when you think about emotional resilience, it's what's getting in the way of people having that mental strength, that inner confidence, that sense of, I can get up again easily to get on with my tasks, with on, on with my stuff. What's going on inside of them? What are they thinking? What are they believing? How do they see the world? How do they see themselves? And how does all that interplay 
with their ability to succeed and master what they're doing. Totally. It's such a great point because I've heard that like, hey, if your why is big enough, you'll figure out the how. And it's like, well, not if you're carrying a 200 pound boulder behind you, right? Which is your emotional baggage and whatever else is is, is preventing you from from moving forward. And even when you mentioned diets, it's funny. I, I heard someone say, it might've been Tony Robbins, but somebody said, how many diets out there work? And most people were like, oh, not very many, or I've been on this one. And he he's like, all wrong. Of all of them work if you do them. It doesn't mean they're healthy. It doesn't mean we'd recommend all of them, right? But you know, somebody invented the chocolate chip cookie diet because like if you ate four chocolate chip cookies a day and that's all you ate, I mean, maybe your cholesterol goes through the roof, but you lose some weight. So they all work. It's just a lack of execution and the lack of execution is probably based on all the pre-existing stories and mental, mental conditioning and stuff. So I'm totally tracking with you, but what do, so what, how do you get started with somebody that's got say weak mental resilience? Where do you get started? So one of the things that I want to know is what is the story they tell about everything, about themselves, about the world around them, about their capabilities, about competition, about their bosses, their employees, their children, their spouses. What is the story that they tell? And what I need to do is get into their heads. So the coaching that we do enables us to very quickly, effectively, and deeply unveil bring to the surface the story they tell. So when we coach them, in addition to our weekly coaching sessions, they are journaling with us in, in our own private and secure online journaling platform. And what happens is at the beginning of the week, we give them a journaling question or a prompt. And every day that they journal, we expect them to journal every day. As a coach, we are reading and responding to their journals by asking more questions, by going deeper, by challenging them, by connecting the dots, by getting a bigger, better, deeper, more filled out story. And so that that data gives us visibility that we wouldn't get any other way. Yeah, I saw, I loved that aspect of bringing in journaling because I think not only would it make me as a, as the person being coached feel like, okay, I've got someone sort of you know, seven days a week, kind of keeping an eye on me. This isn't just like we meet and we forget it and like meet again. And what did I do? And what did I didn't do? This is sort of a interactive ongoing process. So I love that part. But the other part that I loved about it is, you know, there's not a well-established person in the world that I know that talks about best habits that doesn't talk about journaling and how important journaling is. So I think what's also really cool is that you're helping these entrepreneurs and, and leaders and whoever else you coach develop you know, the habit of journaling too, which I think is yes. really, really cool. Well, so you're right on both of those fronts, but there's even more to it because what happens when you and I establish a relationship where I show up every single day for you, you start to trust me, right? And right. it's only when that trust takes place that you're able to go to the deep, dark corners of your life that need to be brought to light in order for you to move forward. So the relationship we build based on the frequency and the, the intimacy allows us to move forward at a very, very rapid pace. But there's one more thing. And I think this is very important. When I get to read your journals every single day, I know you like nobody else knows you. Sure. And that enables me to connect dots that are usually don't even seem related. Right. And so it allows me to coach you much more effectively in much more powerfully. And so when that happens, I'm able to really help you get to a transformative state. 
I'm able to help you get from here to there fast. Yeah. I, I, the foundation of it is so cool. I did a thing called, you'll probably know who it is, forgetting the name, but there's like an online coaching program that started advertising pretty heavily, maybe three, four years ago. And it was kind of a, the accountability, like you said, it was all about accountability and, and they were trying to scale. So they were in Instagram feeds and things like that. And I was like, I'm going to give this a try. Like I'm all about coaching. I coach people, I'll receive coaching. I don't care. Like it's all part of the path of growth for me. And so I'll try different things. I wish I could remember their name. But anyway, what they did was, to your point earlier about when it's just about the accountability, it was okay. It was kind of like having a buddy for that that you meet so that you'll go to the gym. So I'm not yeah. saying it was useless, right? It was like, oh, I said I'm going to do this and I'm going to meet my coach and I, I don't want to show up to the call without doing it. So maybe I'll do it. But like you said, it didn't resolve any of my reasons why or why not or anything else. And so I didn't stay with it. It was fine. I kind of got what I paid for. It was okay. But I love this idea of, of, of like getting behind what's in it, you know? I, I will say this, and maybe I'm being a little, you know, controversial, but yeah. I believe that accountability in, a, in the coaching relationship is detrimental at best and unethical. Or actually, let's turn that around. Unethical at best and detrimental at worst. Explain that to me. Why? So why is it unethical? Because let's say I'm coaching you and I hold you accountable and you describe exactly what you did. And you, you know, you end up doing all the things on your plan because you feel bad. You don't want to show up without doing your work and you make progress and things work out. And you're like, wow, look at me. I made progress. What did I do? I created a system of dependency. Right. What happens when Kim goes away? Nothing. Now right. you're left to your own devices, right? So for I, me, that's not super ethical because a coach's job is to create independence, not dependence. Does that make sense? It so, totally makes sense. And I also think you're creating a little bit of false hope because you're putting a Band-Aid on a problem that needs to be operated on right, probably, right? Right. So now the second part of it is, let's say you're trying to reach a goal and it's been hard for you to reach the goal. Let's go back to weight loss for a minute. You've been trying to lose weight for a long time and it's not working and you've tried this and you've tried that and you know, like you've tried all the diets in the world and it's just not working. And you feel, how do you feel about yourself? Not great. Not great. <laughs> like a failure. So, so now I go and I hire a coach and now the coach holds me accountable and I still am not succeeding and I'm still not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, how do I feel? Yeah. You feel you even feel like worse. Just not even, yeah. You feel almost like it. Well, it's just not for me. Right. Like I, I'm just not someone that even can lose weight. Exactly. Maybe so, other so, can. so what this, this model ends up taking a problem and making it infinitely worse. And for me, that's detrimental. So this dynamic of this, even this concept that someone else should hold you accountable for anything is I think a very big problem that's very widely misunderstood in the coaching world. And I know I think about things very differently, generally speaking, but I will add this, you know, when that model's at play, then the relationship is also unevenly balanced. Right. And then the sustainability is in question as well. The relationship all of a sudden becomes a parent-child almost, right? Is that what you're saying? Exactly. So that's one piece of it.
And just to go back to the journaling thing, again, I'm very biased, but I don't understand how any coach tries to coach without a journal. It's right. to me, it's like, you know, when you don't have a journal, you're walking into a dark room and you're feeling around and you're trying to look for the lights and you don't know where they are. When you have a journal, you walk in the room, the lights are on, you see everything. So even though you don't support necessarily account accountability, it doesn't mean that people don't leave the call without action points, right? Well, I'm more, see for me, yeah. action follows thought. Right. So people are always constantly acting anyways, right? Sure. So I don't need to manage action. I need to help someone think in a way that enables them to naturally take action. Right. Right. So, so not I don't need an action plan. You might want an action plan and I support that, but I'm right. not asking for it in this coaching experience. What I'm really asking for is a much higher level of self-awareness about the relationship between your thoughts and your outcomes. Because if you're not getting what you want, there's a problem and this problem needs to be addressed. So very often coaching tries to change what people are doing as right. opposed to what people are thinking. Right. And when we try to change the doing without addressing the thinking, we get temporary, unsustainable change. Hold on. I love what you're, the dive that you're taking on this because everybody else just kind of wraps all that up as mindset. And I'm like, okay, but like that, that's pretty broad, right? Instead of going like, let's get to the core of what's stopping you and let's move that first. But let's go back to the, and I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but let's stay with the weight loss example for a minute. Let's say I come to you and you're my coach and I want to lose 40 pounds. And then you get into, you know, what's preventing, what, what's the psychology kind of what's going on up here. And let's say we have some real breakthroughs there. And, you know, it was some limiting beliefs I established when I was a kid or whatever, you know, and, and, and that story is repeated. And let's say collectively, you know, we get to a point where that story has now dissipated or or been displaced. Then, you know, is is it just me telling you where I'm going to go? I mean, obviously it is going to be the- It's yeah. your plan, but I yeah. don't have to manage your execution of the plan. Right. What I need to do is check in to see if you're happy with your execution of the plan. Right. And if not, let's look at why not. Right. So I'm never attached to your action. Right. And when I am never attached to your action, you never feel shame about giving me an update on your action. Right. Because it's that my life. That never exists. Yeah, exactly. it's my life, not yours. So my relationship with you must be free of judgment and shame so that you're not doing or not doing something to please or not please me. I'm out of the equation. I'm not part of the equation. It I doesn't think matter to me when if I you think perform or don't perform. And where traditional coaches, I think, make a big mistake, and I've made this mistake early when I started coaching, is someone come to me and say, "I will we'll stay with weight loss. I want to lose forty pounds. Great, let's make that happen. You know what's going on? Why do you want to lose the weight?" And I try to do some, you know, decent things. You know, create leverage and develop rapport and stuff like that. Not in that order, obviously, but you know. And then what I noticed when I when I was early in this, because I was inserting myself into the equation. I would do what I would expect of myself, which might have nothing to do with them, right? So someone tells me, oh, okay, great. Like when, what time frame do you want to lose that over? Which is probably not even a question you'd ask. But even if they did, I mean, they'd say six months and I'm thinking you can do it in four. And it's like, who cares what I think, right? That's like my ego well, coming in. But you know? also whether or not they lose weight 
is not actually the issue on the right. table. Right. It's what prevented what is them actually is on the table is like, how are you feeling about your current weight? Right. What's prevent. And if you want to lose weight, like what's the driver for that? And what is preventing you from getting to where you want to go? Totally. Like what's actually at play here? Totally. Because it's probably involving lots of other areas of their so life. Many layers, so yeah. many layers. So many layers. Right. Yeah. And so that's now the conversation becomes interesting because now like I believe a huge job of a coach is this just unconditional acceptance, right? Radical acceptance. So it's separate from performance, right? Their performance is irrelevant to me, whether they lose weight or not has no bearing. And my success as a coach has no bearing on their ability or lack of ability to lose weight. My success as a coach has everything to do with how much better they feel about themselves whether they're thinner or heavier. So many people lose tons of weight and are still unhappy with themselves. Of course. So it... my job is not to measure their weight. My job is to measure their mental, emotional well-being. That's and you it. knew that going in from all the, I mean, A, from, you know, who you are and probably how, how you know, you think, but also because you had data to support it, right? It's like, well, the challenge here isn't all these goals. The challenge is, uh, lack of emotional strength, right? Exactly. Exactly. So when you started and you knew you're like, okay, I've got this, you know, so I'm going into this business and I know I've got this thing that could blow up, could be really huge, could be really helpful, could really help a lot of people. Did you walk in and have instant success with it? Or was it a grind to kind of build a business? Well, at the beginning, keep in mind, I, I was an entrepreneur in a previous life and sure focused on a variety of industries. One of them was the real estate industry. And so when I first started coaching, I coached people in the real estate industry because that's where my network was. And the only thing is that I was terrified to coach people in the real estate industry because the truth is I didn't know anything about real estate. Right. So what did I do is I hired a guy who was a coach, a traditional coach in the real estate industry. And I said, okay, if they ask real estate questions, can you like just back me up? And I will tell you, tell you honestly, because I think it's kind of funny. I was terrified to coach people one-on-one -on -one because I thought, what are we going to talk about for a whole hour? Right. Right. I'm going to die. Right. So I said, okay, I'm going to start by coaching a group of people. If I coach five people at a time and everyone talks for 10 minutes, then the hour will pass. Right. right. So that was my first strategy. The second strategy was, you know, I really want to make sure that we're talking about important things. I want to make sure I'm effective as a coach. So I want to get into their heads. If I get them to journal, then I'll see what they're actually thinking and what's actually important to them. So at the beginning, the journaling component was just a way for me to feel more comfortable. It was about a cheat the sheet. It was kind of a it cheat, was a cheat sheet. sheet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, cool. And then the third thing that I did was that I hired this guy who was this coach in the, in the coaching industry. And I said to everybody, okay, I'm going to, because I just started out, right? I'm going to pilot this program. And when you pilot something, you can kind of mess up a bit because it's a pilot, right? Sure. I gave myself a little bit of buffer. <laughs> I said, I'm going to charge you $100 for 10 weeks of coaching, right? And I had five people in my first course and I hired this man to come and back me up as a backup plan. And I paid him $1,000. So I was <laughs> losing money right. in my first coaching experience. But what I learned was that 
And I said, part of the deal is at the end of this coaching, you need to give me detailed feedback on what worked, what didn't work, et cetera. And what I learned was they said, we don't like that guy. We don't need that kind of coaching. We love what you are doing right here. Oh, cool. And the journaling part allows us, and at the time, and we still do it now, but they were not only journaling with me, they were journaling as a group. Okay. So the journaling allowed us to get connected to each other and allowed us to go to places we never expected to go to in this format, in this coaching. So, and that was like just right out of the gate. Right. And so I knew that I was onto something, but I was still afraid to coach people one-on-one. And after a few groups, I was introduced to this guy and he's like, yeah, I'm looking for a coach. I'm like, I can coach you. Uh, he's like, oh yeah, ha, ha, you know, how much do you charge? I'm like $2,000. And I was like, inside of me, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, he's never going like, to do it. What am I thinking? You yeah. know, like I'm totally uh, charging more than is reasonable here. Again, 20 years ago at that time, it was a lot. And I started working with him. And on every single coaching call we had, he would say three magical words. He would say, I hate you. <laughs> And I knew that every time he said, I hate you, that I was hitting the right spots, yeah, you're that I was something. making a difference, that I was really going to the places that mattered. Over time, now I have a team of coaches. We certify coaches. We teach people our coaching approach, methodology, philosophy, and all that kind of stuff. And this man that I just described, the I hate you guy, is on our team, and he's one of our senior coaches. Oh, Wow. That's cool. Has he been the whole time? Whole time. So after he finished coaching, he's like, okay, I want more. What's next? I'm like, why don't you uh, join me? Like coach the next group with me. So I didn't have anything that was next, right? Like kind of just made it up as I went along. So even though you have this entrepreneurial nature, obviously this is your own business now and you're running it, but you've been doing it for 20 years. So I imagine at this point, like this is like your baby, right? I mean, you're doing this. It's this my is baby. passion. Yeah. Yes. So we coach leaders, executives, entrepreneurs. We have built two pieces of software. One of them is Journal Engine, and that's a software that other coaches can license out and use with their own clients. And then we also have something called the Journal That Talks Back, which is coaching for young professionals, where it's just through journaling. They can journal as often as they want with their coach a real person on the other end who reads and responds to their journal every single day within 24 hours. That's super cool. And not that we need to get into pricing, but the other thing that I thought was if I was listening to this, having been exposed to lots of masterminds and coaching programs and all that, the first thing I would think if I was in the audience, I'm like, this is really cool. And I bet it costs a lot of money. And I went on and looked at your site and I was like, anybody, if they wanted to, to, you, you know, I mean, it's not free, but, but it's very reasonably The journal priced. that talks back. Yeah. yeah. The journal that talks back is super, super, I think it's ridiculously affordable. Yeah. Imagine someone reading and responding to every single journal you write. Yep. A real person who's certified and trained. Yeah. I looked at, I'm like, this is going to cost a lot of money. And then I clicked on it. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, like a very surprised. That's really cool. How do you, when you're bringing coaches in, because you obviously like, you know, that your style is like super unique and it's part of what makes you guys you, is it difficult as you built your team to make sure that the consistency in, no. in how you do things is spread across? No, actually not difficult at all. First of all, every single one of our coaches started off as a client. 
So they went through our executive coaching program. So that's different from the journal that talks back, right? The sure. executive coaching program, a minimum of 10 weeks. Some have been done it for years, but they've done the coaching, the executive coaching program. And then they've gone into our certification program. So we have a certification program. People who end up coaching for us also get extra training and they have to put in 50 hours of coaching and then they have a three hour exam and they have to pass with a minimum of 85%. So I'm, I'm very rigorous, but everybody's working from the same playbook. Everyone goes to training regularly. They need to come back for more and more training year after year. And they do. Some have been back for training every time it's available, like, you know, 17 times or whatever. Right. So a very high standards, but also a very high consistency in delivery of what right. we do, how we do it, and the philosophy with which we do it. You know, we have a set of principles. Everybody works from that set of principles. It's it's very consistent, even though, you know, there's a funny thing between consistency and providing a unique experience, that customization. So we're high on both. Right. High in, these are our standards. This is the way that we do things, but flexible in, hey, we want to hear you as an individual and what right. your unique right. situation so, is. Right. So we're not like, we don't have a workbook in front of us that says, okay, in week one, we're going to cover this, you know, right. and it's like that. Although we do have, you know, here's what we are going to look at every week, but your story is going to be different from Mary's story. And right. It's different. You're bringing different things to the table. So we look at what you bring to the table. Who's your core like demographic? On the executive coaching side, we are coaching uh, like C-suite leaders, entrepreneurs, like we call them the highly driven population mm -hmm. who tend to have a few things in common. They're typically people who have very large goals that they want to achieve. They're people who want to make a massive difference in the world. They're people who enjoy the better things in life. And they're people who have some source of deep frustration. Very often it's a frustration with others, but it's also frustration with themselves because they're not quite where they want to be. So, and then what about what's the demographic on the, the journal, journal that talks back? Yeah, journal the talks journal back. that talks back is usually, it's not that it's a younger demographic, but it's typically, you know, someone who wants to do the work on their own, they're often younger and they're often more early level employees. So a company will, hire us to coach, let's say a new co cohort of employees. Okay. Got it. With the, with the senior level, with the people that are going into executive coaching, is there, you know, do you, I mean, obviously you guys see trends and, and common things. What, what are some of the common things normally when, when you guys get on that first call with them, what are these high level executives, you know, what are some of the, some examples of what's typically on their mind when they start coaching and why, why they reached out to you guys? Yeah. I mean, we see four categories of struggle, you could say, right? So number one is isolation. They're working on something. There's no one around them. There's no one they can lean on. No one there can talk to. Nobody gets them. Nobody has the same sense of urgency. Like they just, they feel like they're in it on their own. Mm -hmm. Number two is, and I mentioned it before, but this friction, I would say friction with others. Mm -hmm. So if they're leaders, nobody's working as hard as they are. Nobody, nobody gets it, or they have partnership issues. Sometimes it's family businesses and not everybody's on the same page, things like that. Right. So there's friction with others. Number three is what I would call a chronic sense of dissatisfaction. There are people who are sometimes like they had a serious blow and they're like, what do I do now? But they, they, 
have a sense of dissatisfaction. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Something may have gone terribly wrong, or I've been trying for so long to get to this place and I just can't get there. But this feeling inside, like I'm not settled. I have, I can't sleep. I'm restless. I'm ill at ease. I'm unhappy with something. Right. Things should be different than they are. Right. And then the last thing, and I see this often, I coined a term, it's called slippage. And that's when they let uh, very important things slip through the cracks, their health, their nutrition, their friendships, their fun, their marriage, their children, you know, they're just, they're just not attending to the things in life that make a life a life. What you know, would you drinking say? Too much, that kind of thing. I'll solicit you for some, some free coaching with me for a second here, but so my situation would be honestly feel really well balanced and we've built a big business in the last, not big in terms of like the world, but I mean, we've grown our business a lot in the last couple of years and I'm very happy with what and proud of what we've done. I have a great family life, long marriage, great kids. I have grandkids now, physical health is- Yeah, thank you. We started young. But I do have this, and I don't know if it's unsettled. It might come back. Yeah, it probably would fit into that bucket of, I I know when I'm in the zone kind of like creatively from a business standpoint, and I want to be there more often. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to work more. I just want to be like, there's times when I'm in that zone where I feel like I'm almost getting downloads from the universe. Like, you know, so many ideas that like you just wake up in the morning and you're like ready to go and it's super exciting. And then there's other times where again, life is good, but you're kind of mentally almost punching a clock, right? Showing up, doing the thing. And you're heavier. It's heavier. Yeah. A little heavier. And I felt like I went through this period about two years ago of like divinely inspired almost and, and it worked and we did really well. And now I feel like probably in this there's other levels for us to hit and I'm not sure how to hit them. You know what I mean? Not that we're going to dice. Are you saying that you feel like you're not reaching your potential? Okay. So that's part of that chronic dissatisfaction. But I don't know that I would ever say that because I think we all have so much potential and I am, I don't want to leave. I don't want to work myself to death, but I also don't want to leave unfulfilled potential or the, but so here it is, right? Like in your description, what are you Mm -hmm. saying? And it's very important for us to capture your language. Sure. In the same breath, you're saying, I don't want to work myself to death, but I also want to kind of, let's call it max out my potential. Sure. You've just aligned the two. Sure. They're on the same playing field. They don't need to be. Right. Like, do you understand? So you use the word belief before I believe, and then you didn't finish your sentence. But what I'm seeing that you're believing is that reaching your potential means is equated to working yourself to death. Kind of. I think that in the past, I that was definitely true. And right. now what I'm saying is I know that they can coexist. And I need to find better ways to make sure that they coexist. You know that they co- that they can coexist. I don't know if you believe that they can coexist. And so therefore, what I happens you right. <laughs> yeah. is, you, is you go forward, but you have a bit of your, your foot on the brake. You're going carefully. And you're that like, well, wh- why do I have my foot on the brake? There's a lot more to this. And we'd have to spend more time. And I'd have to ask you a million more questions, right? Sure. And I'm happy to do that. If you would but, like to do that on our sure. next session, we can Absolutely. do that. Absolutely. But what I see is that 
for you, you're marching forward with a little bit of trepidation about what does it mean to max out my potential? I, I think, think it's right. going to come out at cost. Yes. I'm not prepared to pay the price. And that's okay, but that's a belief that doesn't necessarily need to be so. Yes. And we need to address that belief. That makes so much sense. And I would love to dive into more. I, I think in my, because of things that have happened in the past where I've gone like, okay, it's work, work, work. And then it's like something else falls off, right? right. You're not spending enough time with your family or your relationships. And so, yeah, there's that pre-existing mindset that's saying, you know, it's like, I want it all, but can you really have it all? Like, isn't it always, isn't something always going to be out of balance, right? Like, and, right. and yeah, so that thought kind of floats through there, right? Which, like right. you said, probably feels exactly like having having the foot a little bit on the brake, one on the brake, one on the gas kind of, right? And right. Which creates conflict. Right. And it doesn't allow for you to move forward, you know, really, you know, unadulterated kind of energy, you're holding back, you're holding back. Right. And the other thing, and I will say this, and you'll get this, the quirky side of me in a second, is you said, you know, it's going to upset the balance. Everybody goes for balance in life, right? Like they have this thing in their brains that balance is what I'm after. But like, let's play around with this for a minute. You can see my hands, right? Yep. Let's say you're t you're a kid, you're at a playground and you go on a seesaw. What happens when things are in perfect balance? Uh, yeah, you stay in the middle. Nothing happens. Nobody it's moves. It's kind of boring. Right. right. It's boring. And so this right. whole concept of going for balance is so overrated. It's unreal. Right. So what you're really on is like, for me, you go to the playground, you get on the seesaw, and you go for the ride. You want the ride. You want the ups, the downs, the bumps, the fun, the, the thrill. And sometimes you want to stop for a minute, but you don't want a life of balance. Sure. You want the ride. Sure. The question is, how do you handle the ride in a way where it doesn't feel so stressful? That's the question. It's not how do we stop the ride? Right. That's not the question. It's right. how do we enjoy the ride? Right. And that and people it, aren't equipped for that. I think also going like, you know, again, part of the conditioning is moving too far in one direction at different times and not even caring, right? Just going, I'm just doing this, right? Which is yeah. different than going for a ride and saying, hey, I can still manage my life and it doesn't always have to be eights out of tens on a 10 scale. But, you, and if it is sometimes, know. that's okay yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. But for long-term, not good. You know what I mean? Like, Well, it depends. Then, yeah. It depends, right? So depends on what you want, I guess. It depends on what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hmm. we've cracked open like a can of worms now. <laughs> Maybe sounds we like we should talk later. again. I think so. I think so. <laughs> so you'll get at least one customer out of this podcast uh, okay, for sure. Okay, I'll take it. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say as we close up? I know we're honestly, uh, kind of running up on time. Honestly, I know a lot of people say, well, like, what should I do? First of yeah. all, whoever's listening, I encourage you to journal. And in fact, can I give your audience a little bit of a journaling exercise? Of course. Okay. So grab a piece of paper and a pen, write down two questions. Question number one, ask yourself, what do I really, really want? And there are two reallys there for a reason. Think about what you truly want, not what you think you should want, not what somebody else wants for you, what your mother, your father, your parents, your spouse, your children want for you. Think about what you truly deeply want and write it down. And the second question is, so what's stopping me from having what I really, really want right now? And write down all the reasons. And what you'll start to understand is all of those reasons are a reflection of your beliefs. And that's the stuff that needs to be addressed and challenged. 
And that's a starting point. And if you're really bold, if you're like, okay, I'm ready for this, send me what you wrote and I will personally respond to you. Oh, that's you amazing. Know, my email address is kim at frameofmindcoaching.com. I'm traveling, but I get my emails and I will, I promise to respond to you personally. Oh, that's super cool. What a gift. And we'll include, of course, all of your websites and contact information and things in our show notes. It's truly, it's been an education. I love your coaching style and and really enjoyed connecting with you today. Thank you for having me on your show. It was an honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Leaders Lab podcast. If you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed making it for you, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening and leave us a five-star review. And while you're there, make sure to follow the show. That'll make sure that new episodes get downloaded to your device so you can listen from wherever you are. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week in the Leaders Lab. Thank you.